You are listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, though, man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, part one of our two-part free agency preview. The new league year kicks off next Wednesday. The negotiation period opens up on Monday, and we're going to take a look at the top 101 free agents on offense, plus the latest news from the Dolphins and around the league, that and plenty more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Oh yeah, it's the Friday show, the last Friday show before the new league year begins. We've been drilled down in draft content for a couple of days now, but now it's time to turn the page to free agency. But before that, let's go ahead and get caught up on the latest news from around the NFL. Mike Pouncey signed a one-day contract with the Miami Dolphins to retire as a Miami Dolphin. Let's go ahead and play some sound from his press conference. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be back, man. You know, I've waited for this day for the last two years just because uh, the Dolphins just meant so much to me and my family. And, um, you know, for my son to be at this age now and to be able to see it and be able to appreciate it a little bit more because he was so young whenever I was playing here. But you know, I told him, I said, there's something you got to work for. You know, to be able to come back and be able to be, able to be wanted, be able to, uh, you know, to a place that gave so much to you and changed your life. You know, I, I'm glad he'd be able to see it. But I brought my family here today, my brother. Obviously, without him, none of this is even possible. But happy to be back. I know this is uh, two years past retirement, but to be able to say I'm uh, retired as a Miami Dolphin is one of the greatest you know, achievements of my life. Three-time Pro Bowler made 93 starts as a Miami Dolphin between the years 2011 through 2017. Had a really good career here, did Mike Pouncey. The best part of the press conference to me was when he opened up about Jason Jenkins, and he didn't really open up. He, he really couldn't because uh, it was an emotional thing for him to talk about, and that's how we all feel around here about the late, great Jason Jenkins. So that was cool to see that raw emotion from him and then eventually kind of regather his composure to come back and talk about what a great man uh, Jason Jenkins was. So there you go. Mike Pouncey, one-day contract, retiring as a Miami Dolphin. I saw somebody ask on Twitter, does this affect the cap? No, it does not affect the team's cap space to bring in a one-day retirement contract. So there you go. We also had some more news uh, Miami Dolphins related over the last, well, I guess, I recorded this podcast on Thursday, so it happened Thursday morning. You're hearing it on Friday morning. Over the last 24 hours, Bradley Chubb has agreed to restructure his contract. The Dolphins converted some of his contract to a signing bonus to open up $14-plus million in cap space. You're probably going to see some more of that over the coming days as we get into these podcasts, taking a look at free agency. Today at the offense on Monday, we'll take a look at the defense. That's your latest Miami Dolphins news. Elsewhere, Jeff Darlington from ESPN had a great tweet on Tuesday night, I think it was. The Dolphins will not be in pursuit of want-away Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. My favorite part of that was this, the quote at the very end of the tweet. 
Per the source, Mike McDaniel fully believes Tua is the perfect fit for his system. And yeah, we've known that, right? We've detailed that in depth on this podcast with the timing, eye discipline, post-snap defender manipulation. These are the traits that maximize this timing rhythm-based offense and puts the football in the hands of the most dangerous one-two punch the NFL has to offer, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. But for whatever reason, reading that from Darlington who is the best in the business for my money. It's just nice to see. We've also seen franchise tags doled out. We saw two quarterbacks get the bag, as it were. They are, of course, Geno Smith up in Seattle. Uh, I don't think discussing numbers is really something we should do on this show because contracts tend to be complex and the language in those deals tends to supersede what you see reported. That's my disclaimer of head, ahead of telling you that the numbers for Geno were three for 105. And then in New York, Daniel Jones, 15 touchdown passes last year, gets four years for $160 million. <clears throat> Albert Breer wrote about the changing landscape of the quarterback market, and it makes total sense that teams find themselves in this difficult position sometimes where they have to make a decision on a big contract, or do you go back to really the least enviable place in the National Football League, which can often lead to years of purgatory, just ask us, at the most important position, the quarterback position. It's really delicate. Do you willingly go back into the quarterback search or do you offer up top of the market type of money, which is what the new quarterbacks who come up for deals tend to get? Because again, there's 32 of these guys. There's probably 13 or 14 that are locked into their position you know, for the foreseeable future. And that's part of the club that you want to be in. If you're not part of that club, you're probably not competing for championships. You're probably not really competing for much more than playoff berths or maybe one random playoff win here and there, kind of like the Giants got this year uh, over a very bad Vikings defense. So do you offer that kind of money to a quarterback like a Daniel Jones, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy out there that kind of is in that same vein. Or do you willingly go back into the quarterback search and go at it with nothing? Like we've heard about the Raiders. Will will they go after Garoppolo or will it make more sense for them to go with Jarrett Stidham, go cheap, not hamper the rest of your salary cap with a huge quarterback contract and see if you can't develop him. And if it doesn't work out, you probably get a high draft pick. It's a really delicate balance. I think it's changed the more the quarterback salary takes up a larger percentage of the salary cap and you know with with Jones and Smith I think Gino made a lot of sense I think Jones could they have maybe explored other options yeah but now they know they have the quarterback that was at least you know baseline productive but will it work out over the course of those four years can they find pieces to support a quarterback who probably needs that support around him uh, to play at a level where again higher than 15 touchdown passes or a 92 passer rating which you know it's both very much in the bottom half of the league I've always just been fascinated by the NFL for the fact that all 32 teams are granted the exact same number of resources each year and held to the same restrictions i.e the salary cap and then from there it's just about who can allocate those resources better than the rest so Smith Jones Derek Carr, all done. And that sort of shapes the quarterback market, right? We'll see what happens here in the coming days and weeks with Lamar Jackson. He gets the non-exclusive franchise tag. And Benjamin Solak from The Ringer, friend of the podcast here, he wrote a great piece on the history behind the non-exclusive franchise tag. What is it? So the exclusive tag prevents the player from negotiating with other clubs. That's typically what you see around the NFL. And as far as the guys that did receive the franchise tag... 
Just six players this year, quarterback Lamar Jackson, non-exclusive, three running backs, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, and Tony Pollard, tight end Evan Ingram in Jacksonville, and the commander's defensive tackle, Deron Payne, all receive the tag. So uh, the exclusive tag that five of those six receive prevents the player from negotiating with other clubs. The non-exclusive tag allows a player, Lamar Jackson, to meet with teams when the negotiating window opens up on Monday. If he receives an offer that he likes, he can sign that offer sheet, and then the Ravens, or the given team, are allotted a five-day period to match that offer sheet and keep Lamar. If they don't, Lamar or the player would sign with a new team, and they would send two first-round draft picks back to the Baltimore Ravens. Wes Welker did this back in 2007 for the Miami Dolphins. That's probably the best example I can think of for, for the Dolphins. I know this is a Miami Dolphins podcast, but I think it's worth discussing because it could drastically shake up the AFC. In the offseason, we talk a lot about other teams here on the podcast. The Ravens win games when Lamar is in there. They just do. Now, he hasn't finished the last two seasons, and the offense really bogged down without him in there both years, but he's a great quarterback. He's one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. And in fact, I think the AFC, to me has seven of the top 10 that I would that I would list going into 2023. Tua, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Lamar Jackson. I think all of those guys are in the top 10. I'd probably round it out with Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, and Justin Fields. That's I mean, I know it's probably premature for, for some people on him, but I think Justin Fields is special. But anyway, that gives you a seven to three split. Actually, you know what? Let's let's call it 8-2 because Lamar would be in there for me and I would bump Dak out for Lamar Jackson in my top 10. So if Lamar Jackson does jump conferences, that's a shift in the dynamic. I mean, I mentioned it with Derek Carr. You know, hey, at least after last year, we saw quarterbacks making that NFC to AFC jump, most notably Russell Wilson. I'll gladly welcome it going in the other direction. So I, I know Carolina and Atlanta both came out and said, no thanks on Lamar Jackson. I, I mean, I get why we would do it. We have a to me, a superior quarterback for our system here and a superior quarterback really last year in general. But for Carolina and Atlanta, like, why not? Uh, Ben Solak wrote about the precedent of other players on the non-exclusive tag, most recently Kirk Cousins in Washington back in 2016, but he did not get signed away, obviously. Then he got the exclusive franchise tag the next season, and then you cannot use a tag for a third straight year on a player. So he went up with the Vikings after that. But Ben walks you through all of that. Check it out. The Lamar Jackson FAQ, making sense of the non-exclusive franchise tag up on the ringer right now. So as it stands... It's kind of down to what happens with Lamar and then Aaron Rodgers, right? Who had a meeting with the Jets per reports this past week in California. Looks like the Jets full court press for the 40-year-old quarterback is on. That could be kind of fun, huh? Two quarterbacks in the division last year played at a top five level from really any statistical measure you look at. Rodgers obviously is capable of that, although I think he was a far cry from that last year. And we'll talk about this here in a second, but you know, the standard folks get held to in the league is not the same as our quarterback, it seems like. And I I see the comments out there about Aaron Rodgers. Like he's, don't get me wrong, a massive upgrade for a Jets team that was consistent quarterback play away from potentially disrupting the postseason party, you know, in the AFC. And if Rodgers is on that Jets team week 18, the Dolphins probably don't win that game. I mean, they, they don't win that game, right? Like nine points is enough to beat Aaron Rodgers. I think there would be a really strong case though, that Tua, Allen, Rodgers, and Mac Jones could be the best quarterback division in the NFL, 
pretty cool to be able to say that when for 20 years it was basically Tom Brady and a bunch of afterthoughts otherwise. But I digress. But back to the Rodgers thing with the standard, you know, I get he's Aaron Rodgers. I get he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. I get he's one of the best of all time. But the best of all time from 2010, I mean, doesn't impact how the quarterback will play in 2023. So if you have a certain standard you're holding, you know, one quarterback to, I challenge you to go back and watch the five-game losing streak of the Packers because that was some really bad quarterback play. Funny how that works. No one seems to be uh, keen to talking about that when you are you know, discussing our quarterbacks. One of my favorite things or time, one of my favorite times on the calendar coming up here with free agency. That's what's happening in the news. Let's go ahead and take our first break and jump back in with our free agent preview. That's next drive time podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield. It's brought to you by auto nation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL.com top 101 free agents listed by Greg Rosenthal, who is on the Around the NFL podcast as well. I like that podcast a lot. I appreciate it more for its mirth and levity, but Rosenthal often brings out a little bit more uh, prevailing common sense to the rest of the show when talking actual football, especially again, our quarterback and the standard that uh, he's held to that no one else seems to be held to. Uh, by the way, Rosenthal is best friends with stand up Anthony Jesselnick, and they have a podcast together called the Jesselnick Rosenthal Vanity Pro- Project, JRVP, Junior Vice President. It's a great, great podcast. Highly, highly recommend that. Let's go ahead and separate the free agency preview here into two episodes. We'll do offense today, defense on Monday. This list is subject to change at any given moment because Rosenthal updates this as things happen. We had the Tuesday tag deadline that brought about some news. It wiped a handful of players off of his list here, and it's still possible that we get trades or cuts from now when I'm recording this on a Thursday to the time the podcast publishes on Friday morning. So I just wanted to use that disclaimer for the topical nature of this content. It'll be like 95% accurate, but there's a chance we have some early Friday morning movement that changes things. Sound good? All right, let's go ahead and see what the offense has to offer. 43 of the 101 are on offense. I thought Rosenthal did a good job balancing it on the back end because just six offensive players in the top 20 overall, 18 of the top 50 but 43 players on offense compared to 58 on defense. 
Going by position here for the offense, there are six quarterbacks, none of them in the top 20. That's pretty new. Uh, you know, not that long ago, it was wild for a quarterback to change teams in the middle of their prime. Now it's almost like commonplace every year you see two or three quarterbacks change teams that are really at the peak of their their playing powers. But two of those guys were wiped out with Geno Smith going back to Seattle and Daniel Jones going back to the Giants. Now, if you want to argue whether they are top-level quarterbacks, that's a different discussion. At running back, there are seven of them. The first one listed at number 48. Personally, I would list Raheem Mostert much higher than he is, but I digress once again. Wide receivers, there's eight of them. One inside the top 10, but he didn't even play last year, which to me is crazy that he's in the top 10. Uh, One thing I love about being aggressive and trading back up for Waddle and then going out and getting Tyreek in back-to-back years, you know, there's ebbs and flows to the various positional markets. And the last two years were about as good as it gets in terms of a buyer's market at wide receiver. And what's the result of that? A bit of a downturn in terms of the marquee talent that was available at this time last year, both in the draft and free agency. And like, you know, Christian Kirk got the big paycheck, but he wound up being worth it. He's a great receiver. And that's sort of true in the draft now too. Now we'll definitely see good receiver rookie production this year. It happens every year. And there are players in this class that are good, but the perception heading into into it is that you're not going to get a class like you had in 2021 for a long time. I mean, uh, Chase... <clears throat> excuse me, Chase, Waddle, Smith, and, and Amon Ross St. Brown's ridiculous. And then 2022 was a great follow-up too. I mean, the two Ohio State kids, Olave and Wilson, were fantastic. And there was obviously multiple receivers in that class that were good too. Tight end, five. I like this entire list. I would be happy with pretty much anybody off this top 100 list at this position. That with the incoming draft class, which Daniel Jeremiah says is the best in 10 years. He has 11 players going off the board in his first three rounds at the tight end position. To me, it makes the, the market so fascinating for this position because like, yeah, these are really good players. But when you have that many good players to choose from, the entire market tends to suffer, right? If I have a $500,000 home on beachfront property, like sweet, I want that. That's a great deal. But if there's 10 of those, and there's only eight buyers, maybe I can offer 450000 You get what I'm saying here? It could turn right into a buyer's market quickly. On the offensive tackle position, nine. Two, the two highest-rated offensive players are tackles, Orlando Brown Jr. and uh, Mike McGlinchey. Brown's number two overall. He was traded to the Chiefs a couple of years back because he wanted to play left tackle, and Baltimore had arguably the best left tackle in football at the time in Ronnie Stanley. Now, Brown back on the market after being released by the Chiefs. I'm curious to see if he demands to stay at left tackle or not. The next guy is the most like plug-and-play, ready-to-fit guy really in free agency for the Miami Dolphins, but it will not come cheap if they want to go in that direction. Mike McGlinchey been a day one right tackle going back to college, and obviously he knows how to play within the system. And then Jawan Taylor's up next at 26. I love his game too, and he's a natural right tackle. So if Miami wants to go heavy in their investment to upgrade the right tackle position, those are three of your choices. Technically, I think it's really down to the, the, the former two or I should say the latter two, because I think Orlando Brown Jr. is going to get a big left tackle contract somewhere. And we got one of the best left tackles in the game, baby. Uh, On the interior offensive line, there's nine of them. Good year for the center class at guard. I'd probably move Isaac Somalu up like 30 spots. I think he's a Pro Bowl caliber guard. Uh, And then Dalton Reisner. 
is really fascinating to me because he can play so many spots. We'll talk more about that here in just a second. The list in its entirety does this, or looks like this, I should say. Uh, I mentioned two and six, the offensive tackles, Brown and McGlinchey. Odell Beckham was the receiver I was talking about. Jacoby Myers is number 12 as the fourth highest uh, offensive player here in free agency. Dalton Schultz, Juju Smith-Schuster, Jason Kelsey, that's 16, 19, 21. You get a quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, first one here at 22. Mike Gesicki is 23. Uh, the two tackles back-to-back, Jawan Taylor and Caleb McGarry, 26-27. Wide receiver DJ Chark is number 28. A couple of guards at 32 and 35, Ben Powers and Nate Davis. There's Jacoby Brissett, number 36, the quarterback. Dalton Reisner and Isaiah Wynn, two offensive linemen, 40 and 43. Miles Sanders, the first back at number 48. Then after number 50, I mentioned Isaac Somalu at 52. Kelvin Beecham, the longtime stalwart tackle at 54. Another former Dolphin, 55 quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, two centers, 57-59, Ethan Posick and Connor McGovern. Uh, a tackle is number 61, Donovan Smith. Running back, Damian Harris from the Patriots, number 64. I like his game a lot. I'm not sure if it would be an exact scheme fit, but I think that his his game translates really in any way you look at it. Uh, number 65, wide receiver, Alan Lazard. Back to the running back position, and this guy to me is way too low as well. Running back, Jamal Williams, who scored like 45 touchdowns last year. 75, tight end Hayden Hurst. Talk about him in a second. Quarterback, Andy Dalton, 78. Two running backs at 80 and 81, Devin Singletary and Raheem Mostert. Again, Mostert to me is like 35 spots higher than this. Number 82, wide receiver Robert Woods. Another Robert at 83, Robert Tunyon, the tight end from the Green Bay Packers. Back to the running back at 85, Alexander Madison. Their center, Garrett Bradbury, number 87. The Chiefs bookend tackle with Orlando Brown Jr. Andrew Wiley is number 88. And then we have a bunch of guys here from 90 to 101. Gardner Minshew, the quarterback, you guys know him, go Cougs. Center, Bradley Bozeman. Tight end, Irv Smith. Wide receiver, Nelson Aguilar. Running back, David Montgomery. Wide receiver, Matt Collins. And 101 quarterback, Baker Mayfield. So what I wanted to do is look at this from the perspective of going back to the idea of kind of constructing this thing around your quarterback because get the young quarterback on a rookie contract, build this thing around him and really invest in every other position while he is cheap because when he's not cheap, he's not cheap and that's the way this quarterback is trending right now. And look, we heard from Mike McDaniel and Chris Greer about the desired outcome for Tua Tungavailoa is to be here for a long time playing at a high level, which he did in 2022, a very high level. So if he can repeat that performance and stay healthy, you have your answer at quarterback. There's no debate about that. The health is the one thing. So look, and and I've seen this debated, and if your argument is, well, he didn't have a great December. I'm talking about the Big O show appearance I saw the other day. Just think about that for a second. Think about the evolution of goalpost moving. First, couldn't throw the ball five yards, right? We heard that over and over again. Couldn't maximize Tyreek Hill, who had a career year here in Miami. It it was always that he couldn't play the game, right? Couldn't play the guitar, as it were. Well, finishing first in several categories and top five in every single important category, that's kind of important, isn't it? Because if you're going to hold Tua to a standard that he better be perfect in everything and every split and every single statistical demographic you can think of, You better hold everybody else to that same standard. You better acknowledge Herbert's fourth quarter collapses. You better acknowledge how bad Aaron Rodgers was in the five-game losing streak. You better acknowledge Lamar Jackson not finishing each of the last two seasons and on balance playing worse football than our quarterback here, uh, you know, to having far greater frequency of good play 
over the Baltimore quarterback. You better acknowledge that Patrick Mahomes-led team lost to the Colts last year. And you can say, they won the Super Bowl, Travis, shut up. Yeah, they did. But that game also happened. It happens is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is no quarterback is perfect, but it feels like that's the standard that we hold Tua Tungavailoa to. Why? It's so dumb. And to that point from the Darlington tweet, and again, we know this. You know this if you listen to the drive time every day, which most of you probably do. Tua is a great fit for what this offense does. He's accurate as hell, has great feet and mechanics and eye discipline. And frankly, I feel pretty damn vindicated when talking about this player because everything I told you that he can do for the last five years going back to Alabama Crimson Tide, he showed you he can do it at a very high level. And we've also learned that those high-level traits really translate to good quarterback play, right? You don't have multiple games in a row with 130-plus pass rating if you can't play the game. So building around that skill set, I know everyone else says the offensive line needs more, and it does. Everyone's does, except for maybe Philadelphia, but they're going to lose their right guard in free agency, so they probably need some help there as well. But I think part of building around Tua is recognizing that few quarterbacks make their offensive line better. Disagree? Talk to a wall, man, because the sack percentage compared to his replacements, the time to throw comparisons, the time under pressure compared to sacks allowed is near the top of the NFL. That metric is, you can't fake that. It tells you exactly what it is. The tape shows it as well as any of the numbers. This quarterback reduces negative plays and losses and maximizes receivers who uncover quickly by finding them and giving them a chance to make plays after the fact. Now, I've long thought the quickest route to a good team is to build a good offense. Offense is more sustainable, and in the modern game, good offenses beat good defenses. It's just how it is. So how can we take our offense from the number one yards per play unit in the NFL with Tua in the game, 6.7 yards per play, and make that better? You can run the football better, give you more balance. So I wanted to look at all these spots, but focusing on something Daniel Jeremiah and later corroborated by Benjamin Solak said when we had them on the podcast up in Indy, Let's go ahead and take our last break, and we'll come back on the other side and talk about all of that. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. So back here, segment three, Friday podcast, free agency preview, talking about what Daniel Jeremiah and Benjamin Solak said here on the Drive Time podcast last week in Indianapolis about getting your core pieces in place. And how good is that to hear? I mean, we, we struggled at those spots for a long time. It's been a long time since Chris Chambers or OJ McDuffie were here. It's been a long time since Dan Marino was here. It's been a long time since Richmond Webb at left tackle was here. 
What are the cornerstone positions? I think the best way to evaluate that is resource allocation around the NFL. Who spends the most where? And what's the value you see guys being traded for? Tyreek Hill's worth five draft picks, right? How many other positions could garner that type of haul? Quarterback, edge rusher, like Aaron Donald is the only defensive tackle. Maybe an offensive tackle. I'm not so sure. But it's not many. It's not more than maybe two or three. And look at Miami from an offensive perspective. Tua, top five production all year. Tyreek and Jalen, you know how that went. Armstead, a big-time acquisition at a premium spot. He gave you lockdown left tackle play when he was out there for 13 games. Better than Miami has had in two decades at that position. I think the center position is part of the discussion, especially in this Dolphins offense. I talked about it millions of times before. The Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel pairing have proven to you how important center play is in this offense since they brought Alex Mack to three different stops, a future Hall of Fame center. Connor Williams was a slam dunk signing there. Let's go ahead and start there then. If the cornerstones are quarterback, receiver, and tackle, and it will center, I guess, Tua, Tyreek, Waddle, Tehran, Connor. So really there's one of the six spots that you haven't got a solution for for 2023. If they want to go the free agent route at tight end, we're going to look at tight ends, running backs, and interior offensive line first. If you want to go the free agent route at tight end, I look at some of the productive two-way players, i.e. pass game and the ability to line up, attach to the line of scrimmage as the wide tight end, and knock somebody off the ball or pass protect if you need it. Short yardage was a problem for the Dolphins last year. This is a one area where they can really, really, really improve their short yardage offense with a good inline wide tight end. Hayden Hurst was a first-round pick a while back for his ability to do just that. Same with Irv Smith, and he's played in a wide zone, 12 personnel heavy offense, which fits what you do here for the most part with some of those personnel groupings. Both of those guys are incredibly intriguing to me. I'm curious to see what they get because I would personally have them penciled as, as you know, a position of need and top of the uh, market targets in terms of their fit here. And again, this is just the top 101 list. We'll see plenty of other signings away from this list around the league. Uh, at running back, we mentioned the Matt Bowen piece a while back from ESPN Plus, and he connected Miles Sanders, former Eagles back, as a potential scheme fit for the Miami Dolphins. He also satisfies that speed quota this offense has. Everybody can absolutely scoot on this offense. I also look at somebody like Alexander Madison, former Boise State Bronco, who, like Irv Smith, came from a wide zone running team last year. Now, the thing I like about McDaniel, maybe more than most of his awesome traits, is that his staff and he are so adaptable. It's about what is the defense... Where's the, where's the vulnerabilities on defense? That's what we're going to attack. We're not going to just run our system and hope for the best. We're going to attack where you're vulnerable because we're adjustable to do that. But I think you can also identify potential fit matches. And I think that Madison ran really well in various zone looks the last few years in Minnesota. Raheem Mostert jumps off that list to me, and we have proof of concept with him that it worked here. That's part of free agency. You know, 1,100 yards from scrimmage in the offense. You want sometimes the best products you can buy are the ones that you retain because you've seen them succeed in your building, in your program, with their teammates, with your coaches. It's important. On the interior offensive line, we talk about the group, this group in the margins, but we've also seen someone like Joe Tooney sign a massive deal. There's always outliers, and he became a cornerstone for the world champs at left guard. I think Isaac Somalu is going to be in that ballpark. I have long been a huge Dalton Reisner fan because he played everywhere at Kansas State and had some great college tape, and he carried that over into the pros at in Denver where he settled into his spot at the guard position. We've also heard Chris Greer talk multiple times about position flexibility up there. So that would make sense to me. Also was drafted under Vic Fangio. So, I mean, I know coach isn't a, you know offensive line coach, but he was the head coach when they drafted that guy. Makes some sense. 
Then there's quarterback, wide receiver, and offensive tackle. Now, the quarterback spot falls into the margins because if you're not signing a starting quarterback, then the price tag is certainly not cornerstone worthy. I lean towards Garoppolo getting signed as somebody's starter, whether it's Vegas or someone else, despite my spiel earlier about the value of not spending for the mid-range quarterback and, and top-of-the-market money. It's, it's, I mean, you don't want to spend for more than what you get. But then I think you also sort of enter that high-level backup spot starter, valuable veteran resource in the room territory, the Teddy Bridgewaters, the Andy Daltons, and maybe even Baker Mayfield. I would be remiss if I didn't shout out Gardner Minshew here, go Cougs. Even though he was 0-2 as a starter last year, I think he showed you yet again that he can play in this league. And he's just that kind of personality like Ryan Fitzpatrick coming off the bench that kind of provides that spark. I like that about a backup quarterback. I do wonder though if he gets a shot somewhere to compete with like a rookie for an opening day job. That wouldn't surprise me. At wide receiver, we covered this pretty well. I think given the nature of our current room, the draft provides more reasonable value. You never know, but Tyreek, Jalen, Cedric, uh, do Sherfield and or Craycraft come back? We know Ezukama has lots of talent. We know Braylon Sanders as well thought of around here. I'm really curious to see what Jacoby Myers and Odell Beckham get. Are they going to get Christian Kirk money? Because I don't know about that. Robert Woods is interesting. Juju Smith-Schuster is as well, though I think I saw a tweet from Mike Garofalo that the Chiefs intend to bring their entire wide receiver core back. And then finally at offensive tackle, the Chiefs could lose both of their tackles, which is Really a fascinating storyline to me because they spent, was it two, after the, the Bucks Super Bowl debacle, they like rebuilt their entire offensive line with Orlando Brown Jr. They signed Joe Tooney. They drafted Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey. Like, damn, four really good offensive linemen in one offseason. That almost never happens. And they might lose two of those guys. Well, Andrew Wiley being the other one uh, this offseason. Those top four guys on the tackle list are going to be bank breakers, uh, Orlando Brown, Mike McGlinchey, Caleb McGarry, and Jawan Taylor. Young, productive offensive tackles are tough to come by. Frankly, I don't think anyone on this list comes cheap. If Wiley, the last OT on the list, hits the market, he probably gets a big deal too. So it's it's kind of you know juggling the financials. It goes back to what we talked about at the Combine. The league just keeps producing these pass-rushing athletic specimens, so everybody is vying for O-line help from the same relatively smaller market. And then off the top 101 list, you know, Here's some guys that I just noted that would make some sense from their connections on the interior offensive line. Nate Herbig and Dan Feeney both played under Mike LaFleur last year in a similar system. Uh, Offensive tackle, Eric Fisher signed here and didn't wind up playing, but if he's healthy and can play, maybe he's a good, cheap veteran who can compete for that right tackle job. Just kind of spitballing an idea. Ty Nsecki from the Rams is a good swing tackle option who's played, again, in a similar system. And then Trey Pipkins from the Chargers is kind of another one of those guys you look at who's played some spot duty and had some success in that regard. At quarterback, it's not good. Like, <clears throat> not a good list of in terms of like you're guaranteed to get quality backup play here. Nick Mullins, Easton Stick, Taylor Heineke, are kind of the guys that jumped off that list to me. But again, I just don't know about that. Gardner Minshew is my guy, man. Uh, running back Mike Boone, formerly of the Vikings, in that similar wide zone system, kind of spelling Dal- uh, Dalvin Cook at times. Gio Bernard for his pass catching, although it wasn't really there this past year. Jarek McKinnon's my favorite guy on the non-top 100 list here at the running back position. I think he's a perfect fit for what this offense does. At tight end, Tyler Kraft, or Croft rather, from the Niners last year. Zach Gentry is a good blocking tight end for the Steelers. Mercedes Lewis, he's 38 years old. 
but again, he's basically an extra offensive lineman, and I think that he can help you in your short yardage. We need that extra OT slash red zone threat. That's why I want Darnell Washington so bad, man. And then receiver, the Falcons, or former Falcon, Olamade Zacchaeus. I, I like his game a lot, and we'll see what he costs, but if, if it's affordable, I can see that being an option. And then me, Cole Hardman, just speed, 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 baby. And then, of course, Trent Sherfield and River Craycraft. So Dolphins are not... This time of year always really pulls me in as a fan. For over a decade now, I have always written down in a composition notebook every single signing of the offseason. It kind of is a futile exercise in the internet age because they post those lists on like 45 different websites where you can find them. But the exercise of doing it and writing them down helps keep me up to keep me in the loop on the NFL. I enjoy perusing those lists and identifying what I think could happen and just discussing possible team fits. So Monday we will do the defense. Before we go real quick, I only do this when I'm blown away by a show or a movie. Off-season is recommendation season, and I just finished up a mini-series. It's likely to go on my top 10 end-of-year list, even though we're just in March. I'm pretty sure it was made in 2022, but I just got to it. Blackbird on Apple TV+. Whoo, buddy, the acting in that show. First, the plot is fantastic based on true events. The main character gets duped into accepting a plea deal. Uh, He gets... He gets picked up for, he's a drug dealer, and he gets what he thinks is going to be two or three years tops, and it winds up being 10 years in a federal prison, and the FBI did this to him to offer him a deal that he couldn't refuse, where he would move into the most dangerous prison in America, or one of them, and can get his sentence commuted if he can extract a confession from a serial killer who killed 14 people. The acting is great all around, but Paul Walter Hauser, who plays the serial killer, it's another level. It's outrageous. It gives me goosebumps talking about it. If you're looking for something to binge this weekend, do that. It's hour-long episodes, six episodes, and many series are kind of my jam right now, man, because the writers are not beholden to any of the characters. It's the best way to organically manufacture suspense. You don't have to, you know, in a, in a multi-season show where you you never you, the main character is never in danger. You can't kill off the main character. Uh, nothing fatal can happen to him. So Blackbird, Apple TV Plus, check that out. All right, that is my time here on the Drive Time Podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast and all the international podcasts here on our network. The YouTube channel for our videos we put out from the Combine, Vic Fangio, And of course, the Alec Ingold interview up on the team YouTube channel, as well as Dolphins Today, media availabilities and all that fun stuff. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, daddy's coming home.